All's my life I has to fight, nigga. All's my life I hard times like yeah, bad trips like yeah. Nazareth, I'm fucked up, homie. You fucked up, but if God got us, then we gon' be alright. Hey, it's Ina Esco, and welcome to Verbally Effective, Episode 3. And I'm so excited on this podcast because I have one of my nearest and dearest friends who I met at Lamont on College way back in the day. Way back in the day. Mr. Earl Fisher, and he has a lot of titles behind his name. So I kind of just want to start off by saying... When I first met Earl, <laughs> watch yourself. I was a freshman at Lemoyne on college. No, that's not true. I wasn't. No, that's not true. You, I was a sophomore. You, were, I think you. You were had transferred. That. I did. I transferred. Okay, see, I remember. Yeah, I transferred. I was a sophomore, like I was saying. No, I think you were higher than that. No, I wasn't. No, you came in on my sophomore because I crossed AKA my sophomore year. You, had, you, you were around for that, right? Nope, you had already crossed when I got there. Shut. Up? Are you serious? You say shut the fuck up. Uh-huh. I wanted to say. say when it. did you cross, Earl? I crossed two thousand and one. I got the Lemoyne in ninety nine. I think okay. you were a junior. I graduated in oh one. See that? Yeah. Why does it seem like I've been knowing uh-huh. you since I had first hit Lemoyne? Yo, I got I got a story. You made such an impact. <laughs> that could be the case. Um, but I got a story that'll blow your mind. I'm sure you ain't gonna remember at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm listening. I've been thinking about this. First of all, I can't believe you're gonna make me go third. On your podcast, you oh, know what I'm no, saying? Oh, no, no, he did. I'm too much of a G to be number three. Hey, there's a lot of good things about threes. Sure enough, sure enough. Well, even though I'm a deuce online, but um, <coughs> no, sit, <laughs> listen, when I got to Memphis, you know, I know you said I got a lot of titles and, you know, you didn't say And that. where are you from, Earl, for people I'm that from don't Benton know. Harbor, Michigan. So right. I came to Memphis in 1999 on a basketball scholarship to Lamont on. So a lot of, when we met each other, I was just a athlete you know and soon to be frat boy where were you going to school in michigan i so i went to ben harbor high school and then i was um playing ball at lake michigan college and junior college and so when i got my associate's degree i got a um scholarship offer you know jerry johnson the legendary legendary so he jerry johnson you. he did you know he sent word up because he knew a guy who was doing a recruiting service in uh, michigan and he was recruiting athletes from the conference that i played in our dear brother Mike exactly. Bell. Yeah. Mike Bell was uh in that conference. So Beast. you all didn't know each other before. No, I didn't. Yeah. I, okay. di- I didn't know Marquise Beast Reed or or Mike Bell. You know, mm-hmm. they had played in the conference that I played in two years before I got oh, there. Oh, Mr. Johnson liked that up north talent. Yeah, you? well he had a guy named Arthur uh Arthur Jackson. Arthur Arthur Walter Jackson that um had a recruit A one recruits and he was taking black kids out of that conference that we were playing in. And sending them to um, HBCUs in the South, oh. all throughout the SIAC. Lane College has some, Kentucky State has some. And so I got the offer. You know, he wanted to connect me with Coach Johnson. Coach Johnson, on his word, mm-hmm. had never even seen me play. Oh, so he went off his word. Went off his word, called me and offered me a scholarship over the phone, left it on my oh. voicemail. Had you had ever been to Memphis prior to No, that? I had never been to Memphis before. Never thought uh, of Memphis. No, and, and didn't know a clue about Lemoyne on or none of that stuff. Right, right. So, you know, when I get to Memphis, as I was, you know, saying earlier, because this is so strange, yeah, I'm a pastor now and working mm-hmm. on my PhD and, you know, social activist and stuff like that. But I was very uh, rough around the edges. 
And the first weekend that I got to Memphis, <laughs> okay. y'all had a party at the Mardi Gras. The AKAs. The AKAs. I remember of, that part. Uh, yeah, the Beta Tai chapter, the right, breathtaking right. Beta Tai chapter. The breathtaking. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and y'all had a dress code. And um, we were out at the Saxon dorms and we was chatting, you know, just chopping up a bunch of us. And you was, you know, y'all was recruiting people to come to the party. Mm-hmm. And you was like, Earl, you gonna have to wear some such and such and such and such terms of shoes. I was like, I ain't got nigga, I ain't got no dress shoes. What you talking about? She was like, nigga, you ain't got no dress shoes. I was like, no. Nah. She said, what you got? I said, I got some patent leather all white Air Force One. She's like, well, I'm gonna have to do tonight, but nigga, you need to get you some dress shoes. I told you that, <laughs> yeah. Earl. Uh, yeah. You know I was gonna let you in the <laughs> yeah. party. No, but you, I mean, y'all let me in, but you were just trying to tell me, you know, yeah. come on, brother. You know, you're in college now. You gotta step your game up. I know you're from the oh, north, you and you remember that. And you're a thug and all of that. You gonna have to switch it up. So yeah, man, I, I always remember that because I was like, man, I came. I didn't have no suits. I didn't have no ties. And, I'm not a big tie wearer now, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? But, man, I was just rough around the edges, and I never forgot that. I was mm-hmm. like, man, this sister cool, you know what I'm saying? She's looking out for her brother. She's just trying to put oh. me up on game, so I appreciated that. But, yeah, you were ahead of the, you You know, you were a junior. I was a junior, too, technically, when I got there. Okay. But you had been at LeMoyne a couple of years, all the way from Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont, Texas. That's what I was thinking about. Both of us are transplants to Memphis However, we're still here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. I remember I had actually just moved with my dad um, when I was 16. And uh, my dad is retired Army. When I moved with him, we were in St. Louis. He was stationed in St. Louis. And then he got orders and he had two options to come to Memphis, Tennessee or Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, my. So we were all taking a family boat and we were all like Memphis. But one thing that kept ringing in my mind, Memphis was isn't that what Martin Luther King Jr. was? Oh, killed? listen, look now. Look, that's what that that's what I yeah. would relate Memphis to yeah. in my mind. I was like, well, Daddy, are there racists in Memphis? He was like, baby, it's racist everywhere. Your daddy was preaching right, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like, we're gonna be all right. He, he said, please believe me, you much prefer moving to Memphis than Omaha. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Like y'all would have improved the whole uh, Negro count, the Negro quota in Omaha would have. Increased by 50% as soon as y'all okay. showed up. Because I okay. know it ain't about four niggas in Omaha. I know he still wanted us to have some culture going on. Yeah. So we came no, to Memphis. Yeah, it's funny you said that about the King piece. Because, you know, talking about this transition of my life from just mm-hmm. being an athlete to being a social activist and a, and a pastor and stuff like that. And you've seen some of this stuff firsthand. You know, I know mm-hmm. uh, y'all often talk about how amazed y'all are. And shoot, y'all got to think I wake up with myself every morning. So I'm amazed right. too. But I remember uh, after I ex- accepted my call to ministry, I was trying to get in the seminary. Mm-hmm. And my mother was trying to get me to move back to Ben Harbor. And you was like, no, mama. Yeah. And I, and I said, I couldn't. I remember being on the phone with her and I was saying, I can't. And she was like, what are you talking about? You always come home. I said, no, nah, I can't. I got to stay in Memphis. She said, why? And I remember saying this to her. Now, this wasn't nothing I rehearsed. Or I don't even remember thinking through this. I said, Dr. King was killed in Memphis. And God needs God's best soldiers on the front line. I remember saying that. And that's just really how you felt after she asked you that question. Yeah, I mean, it was, well, after accepting the call to ministry and trying to map out the landscape of my life Mm -hmm. and what I felt like God was calling me to do and to be, I knew that I was anchored in Memphis. Mm -hmm. And I knew that my, my role and my work was rooted in Memphis. It's not like I, you know, the first time I ever flew in an airplane, I flew from Chicago to Memphis to come to school at Lemoyne, right? Like, so I, 
this is not anything that I had mapped out for my life. Mm-hmm. Nothing is. Right. <laughs> Nothing but, is. But but as things started to unfold, it just became clearer to me mm-hmm. what my life's work was. And I knew that Memphis was the location. Now, let me ask you this. When you first accepted your ministry, did they put an emphasis on Martin Luther King in your teachings when you were a student? Well, I, don't, I, I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there is a a brand of ministry training that always takes into account King's role as a churchman and as a civic leader, but it's very generic. And I, to be honest, I think Memphis is no exception. I don't either. Uh, I, I think that every now and then you may encounter individuals who offer certain perspectives. Like for me, it was helpful and this happened in Memphis, but it wasn't like a requirement. Mm-hmm. My last year of seminary, which was 2007, I was taking a class called The Rhetoric of Dr. King. It was a joint class between people at Memphis Theological Seminary and people who were in the Ph.D. program that I'm in right now Mm -hmm. at the University of Memphis in the Rhetoric and Communication Department. So there was a focus on King. Well, in that class. class. You understand what I'm saying? And so think about it again. That class is a class that's both between seminary students and people in a Ph.D. program in communication, which has absolutely nothing to do with religion directly right of course there's an option anytime you're studying rhetoric or language or communication you can concentrate on a particular area so my concentration right now is african-american religious rhetoric okay but at that particular time there's the vast majority of people who were in seminary didn't take that class Mm -hmm. and i would say i would venture to say the vast majority of the people in the phd program in communication didn't take that class so just because you're in memphis don't automatically mean you're going to get a intimate association with the radical king, as they call Dr. Mm-hmm. King in some academic circles, right? Right. Or Citizen King, as one documentary cites him as. There's so many levels to the man. Yeah. So, so, but in that class, that's when I started to engage more deeply in some of King's rhetoric and language. And that opened my eyes to not just this caricature that we parade around just so we can highlight this notion of nonviolent uh, activism and, and stuff like that. But the radical revolutionary disruptor that ultimately was killed because he was disturbing the social order. And Making he, them uncomfortable. Yeah, he was pissing these niggas off. I'm right, talking about. Because it had never been done. Yeah, niggas and white folks too. I mean, right. Or should I say white folks and niggas too? Because I mean. Everybody. Yeah. It's like, not like all the black people were for him. No, nah, man. He and had that's like what a, people, some people don't understand that. Yeah, when King died in 68, I think his disapproval rating was in the 70s or 80s nationally. And it was in the 50s or 60s in the black community. So black folks in Memphis were saying, we don't want that nigga coming to town because he caused too much trouble. Right. You know, and then at the same time, Lyndon Baines Johnson, the president of the time, was calling him a nigger preacher. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think we uh, think about Memphis and we think about King in hindsight and we romanticize it all. And this is what you see happening now as we start to peer into the commemoration of the 50th anniversary of right. King's death and i know we're going to talk about my article but i think part of what we're describing right now is some of the impetus for the article and what i wrote because i get tired of the way we romanticize king and we reduce him to a sound bite or just having a dream or we lift him up as a way i think i said it in the uh, article as a placebo 
I saw that word. Yes. And I said, oh, you hit him with placebo. Yeah, yeah, so King has become placebo. For those who don't know, a placebo is a... Uh, You're trying to fake them. Yeah, them it's, it's fake medicine, right? So they're doing a test. They're trying to see if a particular type of medicine works. Mm-hmm. But everybody ain't getting the real pill. You know, so let's just say it's 100 pills. They'll put 10 placebos in there. And what end up happening is the 10 people who get the placebo might respond the same way as the people who get the medicine. Because in their mind, they think they're getting the real thing. In their mind. And so that's what happened with King. We lift him up as a placebo to try to calm everybody down Mm -hmm. and say everybody should be like King. Wasn't he just a good, nice, respectable Negro who was always reaching across the aisles trying to bring everybody together? And the reality is King was pissing people off Mm -hmm. because he made a clear stance about who he sided with and was not afraid to state who he was siding against. Not to make it a personal attack towards anybody, but just when you start talking about certain policies, certain platforms and certain perspectives, you just can't get along with everybody. And so King wasn't like that. And so I got tired of people constantly lifting up something that King was saying in 68 in his book, Chaos and Community. Where do we go from here? And I'm like, for the past 10 years, I know for sure, since I've been more intimately involved in it, but I know it goes back a lot longer than that, a lot further back than that. People constantly asking, where do we go from here? And they're not recognizing that we have never really gone anywhere from 68. No. So I titled the the article, instead of saying, where do we go from here? Maybe we need to rest, raise the question, where have we gone from there? And that's and, what I titled the article. And the statistics in your article are astounding and and i just shook my head like no does anyone know this information but before we get into the article i want to ask you a question because you know we do a lot of social media um i remember leading up to mlk day i saw a lot of people saying and and i know you may have mentioned this too that i'm i'm not going to do any service on this day I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm gonna be off today because mm-hmm. i deserve the day to be off now mm-hmm. how do you feel how do you feel do you feel that we should be offering service to mankind and mm-hmm. be more like how you said they romanticize king <laughs> on that particular day or should we just chill at the house and mm-hmm. maybe do do some research on dr king that day i don't think there's any one way to honor him as long as whatever we're doing we're being genuine and authentic Mm-hmm. And so I don't think we should be uh, manipulated into certain types of behaviors or certain types of projects mm-hmm. that are really just intended to cleanse our soul from us neglecting <laughs> what King act, acts for and advocated for and, and die fighting for the other 365 or 364 right, days a year. this is the only holiday they said this is yeah. a day of service. This yeah. is the only national holiday yeah. they consider right. a day of service. Right. So, no, I, I, I think that, you know, and, and, and I, love, I want to be very clear about something. I love black folks. Anybody who knows me knows I love black folks. Mm-hmm. And I think we deserve to embrace our agency and our dignity in such a way that we could decide for ourselves what we want to do to celebrate a holiday. Right. So if folks say they wanted to get together, you know, drink some cognac, smoke some cigars and play spades, go for it. You know, if somebody said, nah, you know, I'm participating in this service project and that's how they really feel, then go for it. If somebody say, I want to read and do some research so I can get a better understanding of who King is, what our relationship with this country has been historically, then I'm all for that too. What I'm not for is, again, King 
or Gandhi or Malcolm X or Fannie Lou Hamer or Ida B. Wells or Harriet Tubman or anybody else being lifted up just to try to make us act a certain way that may not be conducive to the realities of our experience. Exactly. Exactly. I feel you, Earl. I really feel you. Because you know what? On MLK Day um, this previous week, I had to go to work. The previous year, I had a remote at the National Civil Rights Museum, which was awesome because mm-hmm. I met the curator, I met the president. You were there. Yeah, Remember that's right. that day? Mm-hmm. So things were different this year for me, but I wanted Dallas and try to get my four-year-old Eli to pay attention. Look at 13th, um, the 13th the documentary. documentary. Mm-hmm. So we've watched it before, but I just felt that it was more important to watch it today. Yeah. And let's really listen to what they're talking about. Because yeah. they reference King a lot in it. Because King right. was so big in the movement of making change. Mm-hmm. So just looking at today, do you think people are scared to voice their opinions now? I, I don't think that people are scared to speak up. I do think that a lot of us aren't able to connect the dots so we don't see the severity of the moment mm-hmm. and we don't see how we've been and continue to be manipulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, King once talked about the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Mm. And what he meant by that was people would say, you don't have to improve your your conditions immediately and aggressively. What you do, just relax, you know, take it one day at a time, one step at a time, that sort of stuff. And King could foresee and foreshadow Uh, the ways in which this myth of progress would ultimately hinder more substantial progress. When people say, think, for instance, right now when you start talking about equitable contracting, which is something I mentioned in an article, I said there's four things that should be part of a comprehensive plan that our elected officials, both city and county, and our civic leaders should be putting together and have it printed out or or published before April 4th. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the four things I said we should do, number one, implement a living wage, institute a living wage ordinance. Number two, make sure we're spending more money on education than incarceration. Mm, because right? we spend a lot of money on the incarceration. And when you start talking about 13th, right? Okay, I mean, okay. it talks about the prison I industrial complex. On them numbers, uh-huh. like, whoa. Yeah. Or third, we should develop a supplemental health care plan that can offset any other inadequacies in the federal health care plan. Because in the state of Tennessee, you know, it's being a state thing. They trying to. Box out some of the access that certain people had to health care simply because the name of the health care plan, even though it was the affordable health care, the affordable care mm-hmm. plan is associated with Barack Obama. So, you know, white, they had to let that go. Yeah. Know. White Southern legislators didn't like it and they don't want to get, you know, certain people access to that type of stuff. Lastly, and this is the point that I want to talk about, about gradualism. Uh, lastly, I said that we should have equitable and proportionate representation in government contracting with black businesses. Now. For years in Memphis, black businesses getting less than 1% of business contracts, right? Mm-hmm. Well, less than 1% of business receipts, maybe about 7 or 8% of government contracts. And so gradualism suggests, even though it's 65% black city, 54%, 52% black county, and tens of thousands of black businesses you can't hurry up and do 20 25 you could 30%. if you wanted you could. to it's not anybody who knows the ins and outs of our governmental infrastructure remember i said a second ago mm-hmm. people don't know how to connect these dots right so they hear that they hear these numbers well you can't go from seven to 30 overnight well the devil is a liar because in the city governmental structure 
The mayor has full contracting authority. The mayor can say right now, this is what Maynard Jackson did in Atlanta 20, 30 years ago. Want to know why Atlanta is the black Mecca right now? Because Maynard Jackson says we're doing 50 percent of our government contracts with black businesses. Mm-hmm. Mayor could do that right now. Call it the power of the pen. Mm-hmm. But we're caught up in this idea that we get a little piece. Yeah, you, right. let, let's slow walk this thing. You can't you can't move mm-hmm. too fast. And King, you you know, King used to foreshadow that that was coming. He's like, nah, mm-hmm. we no, nah, we need to be aggressive, mm-hmm. and we need to be advocating for a structural, institutional, systemic change aggressively and immediately. Mm-hmm. But people don't want to hear that, so people can't connect the dots. I think is part of the reason why we haven't gone uh, further. And then, frankly. Since I'm talking to your folks on your show, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think I know. You can be real. Yeah, I mean, niggas ain't done right by us. You know, you know, we ain't we ain't done our people right when we get access to office. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We we out there. Folks done voted us in. And then we start acting like the wit, rich, white, male pricks that we were protesting against. And, and not what you campaigned on. Yeah. You know, not... What you were gonna do A B C D F G now you win and you now good you, you get fat with the system the fat cat syndrome now you in the good old boys network mm-hmm. so you cool with being a token nigga mm-hmm. you know that's what Jay Z said in one of his freestyles uh uh let them keep choking niggas we gonna turn styles I ain't your cho- I ain't your token nigga right but you know, you know a lot of politicians in the city of Memphis so I know you do know some African American politicians that are not like yeah I mean you know it's people who I um who I ride with it's people who I don't ride with you exactly. know I ain't trying to call you know no names but I ain't ashamed to call them and, and I think the people who are suspect because I can't verify and say I know for sure you know, Berlin board is with the shit, right? You know, I, mm-hmm. I can't verify that, but I can say based upon some of the stuff that I've seen, I can see people's skepticism and I understand that. But there's some people who I rock with, though. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's some people who have been trying to do some righteous stuff. And I've also learned this. You have to build relationships with these folks so that when you are lifting something up before them, especially if you got adequate information and a righteous platform they'll hear you out and you can hold them accountable what usually happens is we're so disconnected from the system itself we're not adequately involved they say the squeaky wheel is the one that gets the oil Mm -hmm. and then the people who don't live in our communities or don't have our same interests Mm -hmm. are the ones who put money in some of these politicians pockets or the one that's constantly calling their office you know and the ones that's sitting down at the table with them so we got a responsibility on both ends. And I'm not trying to let nobody off the hook. I'm not trying to say that any politician, no matter how well uh, read they are, how articulate, how bright their vision for the community, how aggressive their action is, no one can be the savior mm-hmm. of us. Like we do have to have enough uh, wherewithal and involvement in the well-being of our communities to work to help ourselves and save ourselves. But, you know, we can work better together together. But everybody has to uh, carry their own load. And I think a lot of times you got governmental officials who kick the can down the road and blame the people. And then you got people sometimes who refuse to get adequately involved and then they blame the system. What about and I wouldn't even say this is a myth. Let's talk about the old money in Memphis. No, that's far from a myth. I mean, it's it's real. That's real deal. And it's slave money. Mm. You know, you, you have people right now who are very influential Some are even philanthropists and their money came from either the generational transfer of wealth Mm -hmm. 
from their ancestors who owned slaves or they had so much access to corporate enterprise that when they got in the corporate system, they made their money on the exploitation of black labor. Exactly. So think about the Lowe properties, Mm -hmm. right? Coming from Henry Lowe, Wendy Thompson. First of all, for anybody who read my article, please know that article was made possible because my dear sister, Wendy Thomas, with the MLK50.com Justice and Journalism Project, was willing to put it out there. She wrote an article, right? And so everybody, please support the MLK50 Project. Go to MLK50.com, read all of them articles, share them all day long, uh, do the MLK50 Twitter. information. Yeah, all that stuff. Make sure you put it out there for them. I will. Um, She wrote an article about how low properties built his money by exploiting black labors in a laundry shop. So you're dealing with people right now that got access to mega money, old money, that old money, old money that was made on the backs of black and brown people. And so, yes, that's a real thing. And so right now there's a saying that in Memphis, black people have control, but white people have the power. And that's a big difference. Yeah. So, so, you know, we are in control of a situation or a circumstance, but we constantly asking what I call the white monopoly for their coins. Mm-hmm. And that's again, because our communities have been infiltrated such that it's hard. You know how people always parade the statistic around talking about, you know, in the Jewish community, the Jewish dollar goes around, oh, yes. three t- you, know, you know, 17 times before it leaves the community In the Asian community, you know, it goes around 12 times in this community. And then in the African-American community, it goes in and out. Well, part of the reason that happens is because our communities have been infiltrated. So the corner store ain't owned by black folk. All those systematic things. Yeah, the gas on. station ain't owned by black folk. Mm-hmm. You don't have anything, you know, think about the Kroger uh, store closings in Memphis in these neighborhoods, you know, South Memphis. And I think that Lamar uh, area would be uh, Orange Moundish. Orange Mound. Yeah. Um, so they closed the Kroger. Now you got food deserts. So where the, where the folk going to get their food at? They're going to have to go out of their community. But then people keep talking. You get money and you take it out of your community. Well, hell, I ain't got no choice because ain't nothing in my community f- to sustain me. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to look at the way that these communities have been structured in order to get a better picture of why we are in some of the situations and circumstances that we're in. Wow. I mean, when we talk about uh, systematic policies that are in place that have been in place a long time to kind of break down the community and leave us to where we are today. And, you know, they say, well, it's your decision to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. And And the devil is a lie. Right. But, you know, you have that group of people saying that. um, And too many of us say it. A lot of us say that. And advance that myth, too. I mean, think about it like this. Elvis Presley Enterprises, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and then when they get ready to build something, they appeal to governing bodies in the city and in the county asking for tax breaks, which is basically saying the money that you bring in in taxes should help us build our buildings. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's that's akin to corporate welfare mm-hmm. because now they got the money. And won't spend their own money. They're trying to spend my money and your money. Because exactly. when you're appealing to these governing boards and asking them for tax breaks, you're asking for the stuff to be built using tax dollars. Who's paying the taxes? Are. The citizens are, right? right? So this idea that people pull themselves up by their own bootstraps is just a lie. 
A lie, a lie. Matter of fact, where you get the boots from? <laughs> right. And, and who put the straps on that? And who put the elasticity in the straps so that when you pull, <laughs> you go in the mm-hmm. direction you intend to go? So I just don't buy that myth, and I'm tired of us, mm-hmm. you know, per- parading that stuff. You and I both went to college, got degrees. We've grind, we've grinded for what we have, right? Right. But that don't mean that somebody else wasn't working just as hard, exactly, and still didn't get afforded the opportunity, or just didn't make the advancement. Mm-hmm. And it ain't always that you pull yourself up by your own bootstrap stuff. I use this analogy a lot of times. People keep talking about, um, you ever heard about the starfish in the seashore? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for those who don't know, it's this it's this metaphor where uh, there's this person because a, a plethora, you know, thousands of starfish have been washed upon the seashore. And it's this person going back, tossing them in one by one. And then somebody comes along who's supposed to be a skeptic and they say, you can't. Make a difference in the life of all of these starfish. And then the person picks up another starfish, throws it back, says, well, I made a difference to that one. Right. And that's supposed to be this wonderful, nostalgic story of goodwill and how if you just do your one. Right. It's almost akin to like the pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps right. type stuff. Like just do the best you can with you and all this other stuff. Well, at some point you got to realize this person can't right. toss all of the starfish back. Assistance. Not only that, maybe we need to start asking questions about who is making decisions mm-hmm. regarding the environment mm-hmm. that has made the temperature so high and so hot mm-hmm. and the winds blow so hard Why is this person in this situation? that the waves are so <laughs> aggressive that so many starfish are being washed on the seashore. Right. I talked about that in the article, too, when I said we can't honor King if we're more committed to charity than justice. Charity says, let's just get a whole bunch of people to throw all of these starfish back in the sea. Justice says, wait a minute. Why are these starfish being washed up on the seashore like this? Let's try to make sure that doesn't happen. Start drilling down into the real issues. Let's get to the root. We, we treat a whole lot of symptoms without ever really dealing with the system. Let's dive into the article and look at some of these statistics that you pointed out. Poverty in the U.S. continues to drop, but it's increasing in the in entire Memphis, Memphis area. Mm-hmm. Memphis has reclaimed the unfortunate top spot as yep. the poorest metropolitan statistical area in the nation mm-hmm. overall and in child poverty. What yeah. the hell going on, Memphis? Yeah, 44%, I think, 46% of yeah. our children That's a lot. living in poverty. That's almost one out of every two. Why are we like that? Why is this city in this situation, just like you mentioned, drilling down into what's really going on? I mean, was it your goal with this article to point these things out to get people to think? That was part of it. I wanted to paint a realistic picture of where we are. You you can't map out where you're going if you don't even know where you are. And I really think a lot of people just don't know this information. Right. Which which could be the case. You know, I was saying this on 88.5 earlier. Part of what I've understood, I've understood myself to be called to do as a ministerial leader and a prophetic voice is share light on dark situations. Like these are things that are out there. These are the realities. This is not what you're going to hear the mayor say in his state of the city address. He's not going to say, man, we got 44 percent child poverty, 26 percent poverty overall, which means one out of every four people are living in poverty. But here we go talking about our issue of crime means we need to put more money in the police department. Well, the police department right now getting 60 percent. Well, public safety is getting 60 percent of the city budget. Over 50% of that is going to the police department. 
but we're giving zero dollars to public education. Really, just zero? The city is saying since we surrendered the charter, it's no longer the city's responsibility to mm. give any money to the public school system. That's the county commission's job. Mm. Well, I think that that's bullshit. And that's a big shift in how they've been doing things over the years. You're going to put all yeah. of that money into public safety? Well, but if you're sincere about public safety, how about you say we're investing in public education as part of a public safety strategy. They all parallel each other. Absolutely. They are interconnected. And we know this, man, <laughs> to evoke Smokey from Friday, right? Right. <laughs> we, we know this. <laughs> so, so I was highlighting these stats to just give us a realistic picture of where we are so we could talk more about where we want to go. Um, do you think that this upcoming election... Yeah. That people are going to come out in numbers and understand with, with this President Trump in office that, Man. you know, who's really showing you who he is. Man, look. He ain't trying to hide it either. Nah. You know what I'm saying? Do you think people are going to get out and vote and make a difference? <laughs> so before I answer that question, I need your audience to know something. I need y'all to know how cold, I mean this in a good way, <laughs> Ina Esco is. Because what she just did was segued into yeah yeah what she just did was segue. So we talked before the show. This is what this is why we need to support her more, and this is why we need to you know fund her stuff, right? We we need to put them coins behind. No, I I ain't playing because 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 you know everybody ain't got these skills like this. Oh, thank you, Earl. So 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 we talking before the show. Look, Pastor Earl, here's some of the stuff we need to talk about. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about that. And and since I'm a rhetorical studies scholar, I'm talking about the trajectory of our conversation. Right. It was headed in a certain direction and you knew you had to get us back to voting. And you just easily segued us I'm into such a professional. Yeah, huh? you are. You are. That you are. That you are. So job well done. And we need to support this podcast and uh, we need to support your efforts and initiatives. I'll invite you back to the podcast. Yeah. For and, part two. and put the check in the mail. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. So. So, yes, to your question. Yes, this is a pivotal time for us. And going back to the 68 piece, um, King would ask, where do we go from here? Because he understood that decisions were being made at that time that would impact the community and the cities and the country and even the world for the next 10, 15, 20. And as we can see right now, even 50 years. And that is where we are with 2018, 2019, 2020. Laws are going to be passed. Decisions are going to be made. Policies are going to be enacted. And these things will impact us for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Looking at our kids and what's going to be going on with them as as they become adults. You know, we 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 making a decision now. Right. You know, so now what I can say is I like the fact that things are uncomfortable for everyone now. And it just seems like the city has a dark cloud. They can't get away. Like, so, I, so I do. But so, so here's where my faith comes in. I, I give do, me some faith, Pastor right, Earl. I know. Um, Abyssinian Baptist Church, 3890 Mill Branch. Yes. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, I do believe that there's a path forward. I mean, history has shown us mm-hmm. that the people united will never be defeated. I mean, think about what happened last year. You know, Tammy Sawyer mm-hmm. organized Take Him Down 901. A collective of social activists from around the city and around the county were supporting her in that initiative. We made some moves. You know, some people got wind of ideas and initiatives that we were trying to implement and some statues, some racist, some racist Mm -hmm. relics that had been in place in the city of Memphis. Some for 40 and 50 years, one for over 100 years came down Mm -hmm. because of what we did. The people united enough to be defeated. And you were there. 
Yeah, yeah, I was I was there. I was part of that. Shout out to my dear sister Tammy Sawyer, Tammy Lou Hamer, as so I call it. Tammy. Yeah, that's my sister right there, man. They call, uh, Tamika Hart called us the Wonder Twins the other day. That was funny. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's a glimmer of hope that I know some things can happen. But to your I point, I was so proud that night when when that happened. I mean, you know, social media was on fire yeah, with that stuff that thing coming was down. Turned. Yeah, it was one thousand out there. I for mean, real. and then you and and to listen to some of the people's reasons why they wanted to keep it was right. total bullshit. Right, like what? Right. right. So yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And this goes back to the people who are making those decisions, the the governing bodies that we had to appeal to, which were a lot. Which were people who were elected and appointed and who to position those people. We did. Right. You see what I'm saying? And that's whether we participated in the election or not. You know, we the people we collectively, you know, and I understand some of the uh, um, skepticism and, and apathy around the whole voting process. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But going back to King in 68 and what he saw well, in the 60s, King's signature contribution to the civil rights landscape really was not speeches. It was his advocacy that ultimately ended up with the passage of the voting rights act in Mm -hmm. 64 and 65. But what we've seen over the past two years, I was reading an article about this coming in um, and uh, Reverend William Barber uh, revitalizing King's poor people campaign. Mm -hmm. And they were talking in the article, they were talking about how King helped to implement the voting rights act but a series of measures from gerrymandered districts Mm -hmm. to voter ID laws to the Supreme Court gutting the Civil Rights Act in 2012, I think, or 2013. That has led to voter suppression being such a reality that now our apathy is uh, assisted by skepticism that comes from these realities of what has happened. So what I have taken upon myself to do And I need your help to do this. We need everybody with a platform and a voice to do this because what I'm about to uh, announce, I guess, even though I'm not unveiling it, (laughs) I've been talking about it for a while uh, here on the podcast is Memphis and Shelby County Voters Collaborative. We are committed to substantially increasing voter turnout through 2018, 2019, 2020. We're doing that not just through voters registration. We're talking about voter education, voter engagement, voter empowerment. We want people to be adequately informed on issues that directly impact them where they are in their neighborhood, in their living room. And we want them to be confident about going to the ballot box and getting involved and making sure that they have some say in who's going to be passing these laws and making these decisions and these appointments in the upcoming election. Do you think the impact of social media has helped with some of that? Absolutely. I think that similar, if we're going back to the statue piece, a lot of what people heard about what we were doing, and that's not just from Take Them Down 901. You can go back to when me and Tammy first met. That's on the battlefield for Darius Stewart. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2015, what we advocated for in terms of criminal justice reform. I don't think you would have body cams on police officers right now if it wasn't for some of our activism that was advanced through social media. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'll have a Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board, a CLERB as we know it today, to be back reinstituted if it wasn't for uh, our activism that was advanced through social media. Of course, I don't think the statues would be down right now if it wasn't for that. So there's so much that we can do. Now, I'm not limiting our 
activism and involvement just to social, to media. social media. We right. use social media as a medium, right? Mm-hmm. But we need your voice. You know, the podcast, we need people to share this thing. We need people to go on Facebook and find the Memphis Shelby County Voter Collaborative Facebook page. We need folks going out there researching information, not on candidates yet. Search information on the issues. If the issue impact, if they are closing schools in your neighborhood, first research the issue. Why are they closing? What's the rationale? Then you go from there to who is my school board commissioner mm. in this district? Like one of the things we're going to put together is this tool where you can put your zip code in. And I, it already exists. I just got to figure out how to uh, appropriate it and share it. You put your zip code in. And when you put your zip code in this in this uh, search engine or this tool or whatever, maybe it's an app or something, it tells you who your president is, who your who your federal legislators are, you know, who who is your um, U.S. senator, your U.S. representative, who your All governor your is, yeah, who your governor is, who your uh, state uh, legislators are, your state representative, your state senator, who your county commissioner is, who your city council person is, who your school board commissioner is. All of these people who are, have been elected to office that have some say over what's happening with you in your neighborhood and in your house, you should be able to contact them directly. Then you figure out how have they been voting. How they have been advocating for or against certain things that are relative to me and how I'm living and what's going on with me and my house and in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Then you make your decisions on how you're going to respond when you get to the voting booth. That's an awesome tool. Yeah. So we're going to use that tool. There's already organizations and individuals that are out there doing some great work in terms of voter registration, voter education, voter engagement, voter empowerment. We're trying to synthesize these initiatives. We met. Twice last year, because we're going to meet every month between now and the next set of elections, not just the primary elections in May, but the general elections in, I think, August or September. And that's 2018, 2019, 2020. We met in November. We met in December. We're meeting uh, this month. We were supposed to meet earlier this week, but because of the weather, we can't do it. Mm -hmm. So now we're meeting Saturday. I think that's January 20th. Yes. At 1 p.m. at Abyssinian Baptist Church, 3890 Mill Branch. If you can't make it then, next Wednesday, which I think is June, January the 24th, at 6 p.m. at Abyssinian. And we're going to meet at least once a month, every month, to we organize and polish a very well-rounded voter registration, voter education, voter engagement, and vo- voter empowerment campaign so we can substantially increase the number of people who vote. And so we need you on that. I'm with you. I'm with you. Just let me know what, what I need to do. We need you need putting it out on Facebook I and all you. of your social media stuff. I got you. You know, every podcast that you have for the next few months, say, hey, uh, y'all remember Pastor Earl mm-hmm. had his, you know, cell phone my podcast and he talked about this. And we need you coming to the meetings, too. You said Saturday. What time? This Saturday at one o'clock. Don't lie on your podcast. Either. Up, 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 up. Say <laughs> one o'clock. One o'clock Saturday. Uh-huh. Let me ask you something, Earl. And this is very serious because you know I, I just feel like it's so few people like yourself, like Tammy Sawyer, that will actually um, get out in the forefront, be the spokesperson. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and does this weigh heavily mm-hmm. on on your life in general? Like, do you feel like Damn, I'm not going to say carry a burden. Explain all sides of activism. Well, you know how much you say, damn, Gina. I'm like, damn, Ina. Um, <laughs> did you even like that segue, did it? No, no, that was cool. You know, I want I want you to get some some uh, 
some conversation and some feedback that, you know, mm-hmm. we ain't talking about on every broadcast. Exactly. I mean, want to add something fresh. Um, and, you know, people have asked me that. I don't think they've asked me that on air. Uh, I remember Art Gilliam and WLOK asking about uh, police surveillance because, you know, for those people who listen to your podcast that may not remember, um, I was I was instrumental in what happened on the bridge demonstration mm-hmm. and a lot of other demonstrations too. And, you know, I've been put under surveillance by police. I'm pretty sure the district attorney had, you know, some Were they uh, out in the open with it or did you you just knew Yeah. Um no, I mean up. like like I'm at the crib, this twenty fifteen. I'm at the crib, you know, pulling up the Wi Fi and I see Tennessee Department of Homeland Security. Oh yeah. I'm like, really, niggas? Like, y'all, for real, we, is this what we doing here? And, uh, you know, the Pro stuff from the past is real. So, you know, that stuff does weigh heavily on me sometimes. When you start thinking about, like, the, the, the blacklist, the city blacklist, where they were talking about the list that was leaked of uh, people who needed a, a police escort if you ever came down to City Hall. And, you know, I was the only black pastor on that list. You know, my church, Abyssinian, had been under surveillance, unbeknownst to me. Fox 13 ran a story. Greg Coy uncovered that, you know, the police department was doing surveillance and Abyssinian was under surveillance. And I didn't even know it. You know, they didn't call me like they called some of the other pastors. You know, if they were going to have a police presence and some surveillance at their church, they called the pastor and said, hey, for safety reasons, we just want to let you know we're going to be here and such and such and such and such. They didn't do me like that. They just came surveilled the church uh some of that stuff weighs on me somebody said to me the other day uh monday as a matter of fact and i can't remember um who it was was like man i was thinking about you and um you remind me of mega everest i said you know they killed that nigga in his parking lot right (laughs) like yo like be easy and even when i get the comparisons to king and stuff like that i'm like y'all hey Mm -hmm. i'm 39 king was 39 when he died like be easy think about it people in, in that position, such as yourself, Dr. King, um, you know, you already know just with Trump letting them release certain documents of mm-hmm. his life now that we were not privy to. Like, right. oh, my God. Well, look, you know, one of the things and I'm not trying to disparage uh, Martin Luther King Jr. at all. You know, my nose is clean. You know, I ain't cheating on my wife. I ain't stealing no money. I ain't doing no five. But look shit. at it. That's what they want to put out there. Right. I know that. Uh, I'm just saying not to say that quite possibly adds to the dark cloud Mm -hmm. of what is already some unreasonable, you know, violations of privacy and civil rights and liberties and just your basic humanity. But some of this stuff comes with the territory. And I believe so. You know, there's a scripture passage that says, you know, before you start building the house, you got to count the cost. And so I never got into this thinking. I never got into this so that, you know, you would invite me on the podcast or that, you know, the news stations would, would call me and ask me for my commentary or the newspaper outlets would ask me to write op ads. I didn't do this for that. I did this because I fundamentally love my people, care about justice. And I understand God has given me a platform and some skills and some gifts. Like you said, there's not a lot of me, not a lot of Tammy's. That's true. I mean, this ain't an easy thing to do. Like you have to be gifted for this. You have to be graced to do it and you have to give a damn too. And it's mm-hmm. rare that you find that combination. So went to whom much is given, much is required. You know, there's some stuff that I'm doing as we talked about earlier. I never thought I'd be doing. And in the process of uh, embracing 
this role and this platform, I knew that some darts would come with it. That doesn't make it easy, um, but I do think it it makes it more bearable. But is there a dark cloud? Yeah. You know, am I looking over my shoulder from time to time? Nigga, I'm from the hood. Yeah, uh, I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm getting I'm getting out of my car. You know, like I said, somebody said Mega Evers. I get out of my car at the crib. I'm, I'm, I'm surveying the land. You wonder, packing? You packing? I ain't got to tell all my business. Okay, don't tell all you. You know what I'm saying? Just, just, surprise. Just, <laughs> just know this. I am not nonviolent. Oh. I am anti-violent. I don't. I don't. I don't want to have not to be very clear. Be very clear. You got to be clear in 2018. Now, I, I, I am a G. Be be very clear. I'm from Ben Harbor, Michigan, and if you don't know, <laughs> do your research. You know, cause uh, no, I mean it ain't that type of party. I keep you in my prayers, Earl. Because, I appreciate that because too. I know that you know, um, and it's not talked about a lot um, mm-hmm. with activists we have in our community, yeah. especially in the city of Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, and I would say this too, you know, salute to the G's, man. It's some, it's some street folk out there that salute me and you know hold me down. Like, hey, we got you. Like, mm-hmm. and some, you know, some other about like the other week when the Confederate um, protesters were in town. Um, I um, that was very quiet. Yeah, I mean, I you know, they bullies. You know, bullies are usually a lot more bark than they are bite. Right. Right. Um, and anytime you stand up to a bully, you know how that go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you you had to be uh, cautious. And I was hosting a community meeting at the church. And so knowing that they were in town and knowing that I was high profile, I called some of my brothers in the nation of Islam. You know, it's like, hey, you know, just for good measure, need y'all to come through. And I mean, and, and for anybody who, who does not understand the deep faith connection between Muslims and Christians mm-hmm. and Hebrew slash Jewish brothers and sisters. You know, I called them and they were out there posted. You know what I'm saying? Ready. Deep. Yeah. So, you know, it's some folk who hold us down. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I know I'm not out here by myself, you know, and I'm not just talking about the higher power that that dwells with me and around me. I'm talking about brothers and sisters like you who I know, you know, praying, lifting the brother up, you know, giving some encouraging words you know, keeping me uh, grounded and, you know, get, got your eyes open for me. If y'all see something or hear something, Definitely. you know, y'all put me up on game. So I appreciate that. Always, Earl. You know, I, I really love this article that you published on MLK Day this year. And I'm so glad that you came to my podcast to speak with me. You know, it's 2018, a new year. Is there anything that you would like to share with the audience, Um, you know, Maybe there are people that are feeling lost right now and need some direction. Just a word from Pastor Earl. <laughs> you put my if you take your Bible into the book. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna reference right Paul. Uh, in the book of Hezekiah. There is no book of Hezekiah, so I'm teasing. Um, seriously, yeah. First, I think we have to be very cognizant of how much work has to be done, not just to obtain freedom but to maintain freedom. And I'm saying to people, you know, I know that this is the beginning of the year and uh, resolutions are being made or pledges are being made and, you know, vision boards are being cast and all of this stuff. Just be realistic about how much of a journey this is. You know, we didn't get here overnight. You're not getting back overnight. Uh, Change is often hard and tedious. They say that the wheels of justice grind slow but they grind, grind exceedingly fine. 
And what I think is inspirational, at least for me, is looking at the history of our people. Man, we have done so much with so little. We are some survivors. That we could do just about anything with little or nothing. We can. And so knowing that the creator of the universe, God, has inspired so many of our ancestors. And I consider Jesus of Nazareth that black Palestinian Hebrew to be one of our ancestors. Okay. Right. God has inspired so many of our ancestors to do so much good. I just feel like we can all do our own part. And so I hope that that would be like the resolution that I'm encouraging people. And, you know, first, if you want to come to Abyssinia, please do any given Sunday. Give that address again. 3890 Mill Branch, 38116. In Whitehaven. But commit to a journey. You commit to a journey commitment. with it. Yeah, like, 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 don't, you know, uh, there is a scripture passage in Psalms that says a righteous man falls seven times. And so most folk would say, well, if you fall in seven times, that's because you're wicked. No, you're righteous because you understand human beings are prone to fall or fail, but you keep getting up. The only way you're going to fall seven times is if you yeah, get up in the six. Yeah, that, that's what, you know, Dwayne Wade's uh, commercial is, mm-hmm. you know, fall seven times, stand up eight. And so uh, also know that you ain't alone in this thing. You know, that's what motivates me. I love being here for people, and I'm glad that people are here for me. You know, and I know that there are, you know, men, women, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, mothers, fathers, grandparents, teachers, um, principals, small business owners, radio VJs, you know, public personalities, people who are here to connect with folk mm-hmm. and, and bond with them and walk with them. And so I'm just one of many of these soldiers out here, you know? So, uh, Tupac had a song, so you ain't never had a friend like me mm-hmm. and that's true, but I ain't the only one either. Exactly. Uh, you know, the old, old hymn that says, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, not one. So if I had to lift up anybody with anything, I just say, stick with the journey and you will see beyond all reasonable doubt that you are not alone in this thing and that no matter how long it takes or how hard it is, our freedom is worth it. Yes, it is. Thank you so much, Earl, for coming. Thank you, my sister. Hey, we got to get out here for (laughs) Ina Esco, man. Y'all got to share this thing like a gazillion times. I want Jay hitting her up trying to get her own title. You understand what I'm saying to you? That's what I'm talking about. Big moves. That's that's my prophecy for you. And then you send the tithe to Abyssinia and say, I remember when we were just. I'm going to cut you a big check, boy. I remember we were just in the studio and Pastor Earl was talking about, man, Jay going to hit you up trying to get you on title. And I would be like, he's. Poke it into existence. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Appreciate <laughs> you, sis. We gon' be all right. Nigga, we gon' be all right. Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be all right. I keep my head up my eyes. Cross my heart. Don't be as complicated. Too afraid of my changes. I'm all right in your favor. Dark nights in my prayers.